Hi, and welcome to Whole Heart Transformation. I am Melissa Alguera, your personal identity life coach. Let's go to the podcast. Hey guys, welcome to Whole Heart Transformation. Today, I want to talk about some secret sauces to healing that you may not have known about before, or maybe you've had a therapist or a coach that has tried to help you in this way, but you haven't been able to do these specific things in order to reach your healing and how to get them. So this is really important for anybody who is wanting to heal, but is really struggling to find the right processes to heal. So let me go first over the things that I find not useful in an actual healing experience. So when I'm talking about a a healing experience that is transformational, that is permanent, I'm talking about something that is, instead of you having two neural pathways where you have the old one and then a new one, I'm talking about where you have this one that's old, no longer existing in your brain, in your body, and this one that's new that is now taken over and is fully, fully present. And now where you're operating out of where you're not going back to an old neural pathway that still exists, but you've dissolved this one by creating this one and giving a mismatch experience. So how do some of these ways um, that are old methods, how are they not useful first? So behavioral methods do not work for full transformation. Behavioral methods create new neural pathways. You can do consistent patterns that build something new. Like for example, Um, I, when I was thinking about working out, you know, I was like, oh man, like I really need to get back into it. There was, it was like COVID time I worked out, but I didn't do what I know is best for me, which is usually lifting weights. It's usually really doing some sort of hit, um, modality with weights or, or really doing a lot more strength training, lifting heavier weights. That's always what works for me. But instead I resorted to just walking. That was what I did during COVID instead of you know, lifting my own weights at home. And so I found it really difficult to get back into a real structured way of working out. And so I do it now. Um, I, I decided I made a decision to work out, even though I still have an old part of me that does not want to work out. So I have this, these two parts of me that one wants to work out and one does not. And the reason why I'm explaining it to you this way is so you can understand there's a clear difference in two brain and body pathways. There's one part of my brain and body that does not want to work out. And there is a part of my brain and body that does. And while these two are running, they're in conflict. One is always going to win out over the other. And, you know, I would say that this personal experience, like if this part of me was really strong and like overtook me, then I probably need to... Uh, do something different with this part of me, but I keep this part around for a reason. And that is actually, I was saying this part was the part of me that was strong. Let's go over here. Okay. The part of me that doesn't want to work out. So the part of me that doesn't want to work out, I keep this part around because this part helps me to rest when I need to rest. And then this part, if it, if I don't um, allow myself the opportunity for this part to have some precedence, then I end up being, you know, going to this part, like, oh, I need to rest all the time. So I need both of these parts in my life. This is different than when we have coping mechanisms or addictive tendencies 
there, there are still parts of the addictive, you know, the solution that this part that went towards addiction or coping mechanism, there are still good parts of that that are beneficial, but the coping mechanism itself that we've used, the strategy is what we want to completely dissolve within our brain and our body and having that new um, internal response instead of going towards this response, if this makes sense. So the difference would be if I had a coping mechanism where um, I would go to this instead of having, you know, going to relationship, going to reach out to other people or going to a healthy way of dealing with the the pain and anxiety that I'm feeling. Um, and, and so I would go to this before, and this would be the draw and the pull of what I would want to do instead of reaching out in relationship. And it always goes back to relationship because relationship is where we learned that we could either go towards relationship to get our needs met or we couldn't. So we had to develop a coping strategy if we learned when we were young that no one would be there for us. Lots of strategies look very different. I mean, sometimes it can be going internal and just like so much shame and anger towards self and telling yourself that, um, you know, you're not good enough to have your needs met, or you just need to push your needs away. And, um, by pushing your needs away, then you won't feel them. And then you do other things to stay busy and all this stuff. And then it comes out sideways at some point, like eventually it ends up coming up, you know, something brings the awareness that, oh my gosh, like my needs aren't being met and I have needs and I don't know what those needs are. (laughs) And I'm not able to be in touch with them or share them because I haven't had a different experience of what it's like to have someone attuned to my needs, see my needs, or even me be attuned to my needs. And so I go to this other uh, maladaptive type of way of being in order to deal with the unmet needs within myself or or me even um, devaluing my needs in a sense. So, okay, hope that makes a little more sense and get so you can get some clarity on what I'm talking about. So here's some of the strategies that I find work the best with dealing with pain. Number one, or getting that transformational change. Okay. So number one, um, and it deals with pain too. Number one is how you get transformational change is by having relationships that will hear you and not try to dismiss or cover your experience that you are able to be with another person and share your experience without them spiritualizing it, without, you know, um, dismissing your emotions. I mean, I, I was even thinking about an experience that I had this morning where I was sharing a frustration that I had and somebody freaking spiritualized it. And I was like intentional about like pushing back and being like, no, like I, I believe God will handle some of this stuff, but my, my anger is valid and I'm not going to dismiss it because I'm having God handle it. And this person actually didn't know what to do with that. It, they, they kind of just shut down. They, they didn't know how to respond. And so I realized, well, that's how they deal with their stuff. They don't, you know, allow the anger. They don't allow themselves to be frustrated because they, they feel like that is a lack of faith, which that's not a lack of faith. In fact, I think it actually takes a lot more faith to express your emotion in real time and to allow yourself to process it. Our brain and our body need to process emotion. Our brain 
goes through cycles trying to make meaning of something. Like God doesn't see this as invaluable. He sees it as valuable for God's sake. He made it, made us that way. He made us a pathway to heal. And that is to process out our emotional experience or whatever is sifting in our brain and our body to heal and do it in relationship. So if we learned in relationship that we weren't allowed to express our authentic selves, then we learned that relationships weren't safe. So we have to find people that are safe for us. Okay. Number two, once you find number one, which is really important. And if you, by the way, if you don't have friends or family that you can do this with, I have a whole group that I do this with all the time. I run groups all the time. I do this in my coaching. And if you want to build a community um, to have this dynamic, I offer coaching for that to help you and your friends get to the place where you guys can validate each other and you can just be with each other in your emotional experiences and nobody's trying to fix or push down or minimize your experience. It is an incredible beautiful thing to have that type of community. In fact, we really can't live healthily without that community. So, okay. So number two, once you get your community, doing role plays is a vital um, space, a vital uh, point that you can use in order to heal relationships that you could not mend. So let me explain. So when you are when you have people that have harmed you and those people cannot face reality of the harm that they have caused you, they cannot own the space of their reality. Okay. Their reality being that they are harmful. They are, um, they have abusive behavior. They have betrayed you, whatever. Okay. I've had, I cannot tell you multiple, if, if I, if you really knew the depth of my story, only a couple people know the depth of my story because there are only certain people that I trust my story with. And so I've only shared it with so many people and the depth of my story has some level of betrayal. That's like insanity and people that didn't own their stuff. They, they saw themselves as a victim. And it wasn't until, um, just recently where I started processing this and being like, man, like they, they didn't own anything. They literally pretended to themselves that they were a victim when actually I was the victim. I was not involved in any of the poor choices that these people made. They were the ones in charge of their choices. I didn't agree with their choices. I didn't sign anything. I wasn't like, oh, hey, go ahead and do what you're going to do. And like, I agree with that and how this is going to harm me and cause like detrimental um, brain issues for me for years to come. I didn't agree with that they made those choices and they also chose to see themselves as a victim. And that probably came from years and years and years of pushing away reality of their own reality of their upbringing, and then their own reality of how they've Im impacted people. So when you have people that have harmed you in that way, you need a person who can hold the role of that person and give you what's called an ideal response. So I just did this. I just did this last night, actually, in my group. I had one of my close, closest friends. I mean, my, she's my dear best friend. She actually held the role of this person that harmed me the most, more than my husband, it felt like, you know, to a degree. No, not to, not, not more, but to a degree, it was almost on the same 
um, playing field as my husband. And so I had um, my dear friend who knows me, knows my story, can be in touch with my pain and separate herself from it. And she held this role for me. And I'm telling you, you guys, like this, this was like a transformative moment. She owned, um, as she held this role, I, you know, cause I gave what I needed as the ideal response from this person who harmed me greatly. And so she held the role of that person and just owned all the pain, all the trauma. I mean, even now, as I'm saying this, I can feel this in my chest and my throat of how impactful it was for me to receive the reality of how this person harmed me, even though this person will probably never, ever do this to me. I have not had one person who betrayed me apologize. And I do this to a lot of people, people that I know I've, har I've harmed or like God will give me um, maybe sort of uh, some sort of like realization that I've harmed them and I need to call and apologize to them. I will do that because I know that having somebody own the pain that they've caused you is so impactful. And so I know the people that have harmed me in this way don't have the character. I want you to hear that again. They don't have the character to own what they did. It takes character to have self-reflection on the harm you've caused another person and to own it. It is the most humbling thing you could ever do to apologize to and, and to own and list off the ways that you've harmed another person. That takes a depth of character. And the people that harmed me don't have that character because if they did, I would have heard from them by now. And it's been four years and I haven't heard anything. So with that being said, my beautiful friend held this role and it did something for me. It released like a level of forgiveness for my, to myself and to the person that harmed me. It released me because it was what I needed. And then I had somebody hold the role of another person who was also harmful in, in that betrayal, uh, in my betrayal story. And I could not forgive this person. It was like, oh my gosh, like there's something deeper there that's attached to their betrayal. And so now I'm like, okay, somebody held their role and I couldn't receive the ideal response. And so now I need to figure out inside of me what's happening inside of me so I can receive the ideal response and move towards forgiveness. But let me tell you something. Forgiveness is not the goal. That's not the goal. The goal is, is to get the pain and the trauma out of my body so I can forgive. The goal is to be met in the place of deep aloneness. And I have these beautiful people that can hold that space for me so I can heal. So the next time I have the opportunity, I will try again and see what comes up for me. Okay. Number three. So that's role playing, by the way. So that's role playing. Somebody holding the role of the person and just being that space of an apology or an ideal response or um, giving you the space to freely flow and say what you need to say. And before I move on to number three, I want to just throw this in here. Some people, this is really hard for. Like, they'll be like, well, I can't talk to my dad like that. And you're just holding a role of their dad. So it tells you that their brain and their body is having that visceral response as if you were their dad. 
So that's why this is very impactful because your brain doesn't know. It's kind of like almost like tricking your brain in a sense to giving it the freedom to release what it needs to release and have that grief process so it can overcome and make new meaning. So even though it is not the same person, your brain and your body doesn't have that same um, recognition that it, whether it is or not. So it gives that space to heal and undo the aloneness of the part that's been so trapped by whatever you know, the relational dynamic brought up for you. And it's a beautiful experience. Okay. So number three, after we've had this um, ideal response, sometimes we need some um, empathy. So the empathy, sometimes the ideal response will spur on grief. And that's always a beautiful experience. And then you sitting in the role of the person who's harmed you. And so this is one of the most impactful experiences I've seen with a lot of my clients that are just so angry and um, they have so much hate in their heart, which I understand. And the problem is it's leaving them in this space of deep bitterness because they're only coming from the perception of themselves. For me, when I'm talking about my experience with the two people that I was processing last night, I already have empathy for them. I There's a part of me that has real empathy and can get in touch with that very easily. So it wasn't about that for me. What it ended up being about was a sense of justice for me that they owned how they harmed me. And so there's a difference. But when we when we feel so embittered by how someone has harmed us, Sometimes getting in their shoes, playing their role and, and having somebody ask questions to you as if you were holding that role will help you get in touch with a greater sem sense of empathy for the person so you can then release them and have it less personal. So we're, we're building some separation here between you and this other person like, oh, wow, like actually like that wasn't about me. That was about them. They are doing this because they feel insecure about themselves that's not, you know, my problem. And this, when, once you build that separation between you and another person and you carry a, a sense of empathy, there is some sort of releasing of that person with that dividing line. And so it gives, it gives like a internal space, um, to have capacity for empathy towards them and to not have your mind. Cause often our mind wants to, you know, figure out and it, our mind makes up stories to have safety or like it makes up stories because that's what we did as kids. And as you know, we grow up, if we're still stuck in that cycle, I mean, my daughter does this all the time. She's 12. So she has stories that she makes up and I'll be like, where did you, how did you come up with that? That's really clever. Like, I'm curious if you would ask them if that's how they felt, or if that was their experience, maybe you'd get a different response. And there's been times where she's done that. She's gone to them and said, like, is this how you feel? Is this what you're doing? And then once they get in touch with the, you know, she gets in touch with their reality. It's like, oh, like, okay. Like you weren't actually doing that. And often that's the case. Often the case is someone is not really perceiving you or doing the thing that they're doing based out of how they feel towards you or um, maybe like whatever story we make up. It's often about them. It's often about, you know, the harm that they're causing is really about their own shame, their own pain, and they can't see past their own, you know, hand. They just 
are focused on themselves. And so once we can sit in that role, we can get a deeper level of healing for ourselves because then we're now in the reality of, okay, that's them. This is me. This was my story. Okay. Now that's something different. Okay. So number four, and this is going to be my last one, because I don't want to give you all my secret sauce. So once you get in touch with empathy and some separation, then this is going to be the point to be curious with your own messages that you receive. And your own messages are really important to the process of healing because what your messages say when you've been hurt by another person will be the track that you go on to figure out, okay, where did I learn that message? What does that message mean to me? How is this serving me? Because even though there's, you know, a lot with the IFS, it's like, okay, you know, these parts are doing this, they're not serving me anymore, but actually they did, they did a service. So we have to figure out what is it that is serving you within those messages and the pathway that you take when those messages come and where do they come from? How long have they been there? How young do they feel? All these things are a part of this process. Once we can understand the messages, we can integrate those parts of us that have been carrying those really deep, painful messages for so long. And most of the time, they are very young parts of us because we had to make up stories to ourselves to get through life. We had to uh, make meaning of things. And we only had a small brain capacity to do so as kids. Like we do not know how to do this as kids. And if we don't have an adult that sits down and says like, you're okay here, let me help you. Let me support you. What is it that you're believing right now? How can I you know, how can I tell you what's true? Like, what is your experience? All these things we needed our parents to sit down and help us. And if they didn't know what was happening inside, because maybe we didn't tell them that's a real thing. Um, or maybe our parents didn't attune, then we just carry these messages throughout our life. So things like it's not safe to enter relationship because we had a person respond to us in a way that wasn't safe. But that doesn't mean that all relationships are not safe. That just means that the relationship with that person right here, right now is not safe. However, the young parts of us will say all relationships are not safe or no one will ever meet my needs or my prince will come someday. And the person I'm with right now is not that, you know, well, yeah, you're right. They're not that. And they can never fulfill the role that your parents did should have fulfilled, which is why you're looking for a prince. So it's really interesting. So some of these messages translate over from childhood, the messages of, you know, um, so, okay. So let, let me kind of give another example. A lot of people um, nowadays, especially there's a lot of uh, attachment issues in our society. And it's been like this for a really long time, but the new brain research has shown that attachment is actually what we need. That's the first character structure that we build as children. We come out of the womb, we go on mama's chest, we nurse, we do that. And that is attachment building. It's bonding. It, and we know this because it releases oxytocin in the brain of the child and the mother while the baby is nursing. Both are bonding. It is a chemical being released to bond closer. And then when we get to adulthood, then we use sex as another way of deepening our bond. But prior to um, sex as an adult, there should be a process of attachment. It's different than childhood. We don't go from nursing, you know, on mommy and having that physical experience to just a physical experience with another person. If we're doing that, then it's a young part of us that hasn't had the healthy attachment that it needed over time with 
their parents. So attachment is eye contact, you know, thinking about how when a baby comes out, like everybody's cooing over the baby and the baby's cooing. And it's just this experience of adoration, of delight. And then if that is where we don't get the initial character structure built, that's attachment, okay? Then we go in life looking for somebody to fulfill that. And if it was so broken as a kid, we will follow suit of those messages. Okay, I can only get attachment needs met with random hookups, or I can only get attachment needs. And this is all subconscious, by the way. This isn't a conscious response. I can only get it met in fantasy of this person, like this one person is going to come and save me. That was mine, you know? And and we have all of these messages that are deeply embedded inside of us, and we don't know why. And so these four things that I've given you is the process to start undoing um, deep wounded pain and trauma. And I'm not talking about trauma that is, you know, severe, obviously severe trauma. You need a licensed therapist who knows how to help those deep embedded trauma triggers that are not necessarily related to all character stuff. Some of it is just embodied responses that you, you cannot help. Um, I'm talking about character um, deficiencies and trauma that came out of not having the healthy attachment that you needed as a kid. This is what I'm talking about. And so as we work together with those four things, and obviously it takes a lot more than that. And, and there's not enough time to tell you all that I've studied and processed through with my own clients for years and years and years. But these are four tips that you can attempt to take out into the world with people who are safe, or you can um, call me and you can um, book an appointment with me and we can start working on that with you, or we can build a group for you so you can get your needs met in this way because you freaking deserve it. You deserve to heal. You don't deserve to be stuck. So what you can do for yourself, the biggest blessing that you can offer yourself is the gift of healing with whatever it takes to heal yourself. Thanks for listening. If you have found today's podcast helpful, please like subscribe and share. If you are interested in coaching with me, go to www.identitylife.coach. And you can also find me on Instagram, identity.life.coach. Thank you.